to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined, as always, wearing his Sin of Our Fathers t-shirt by my older brother, Michael Kuhn. I am wearing my t-shirt today. Pretty good. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. So, the new look, Cleveland Browns. Not yet. The jerseys haven't been released yet. What, April? What we're expecting? It's coming. I expect right before the draft. So, since we last spoke, there have been tons of changes in the organization. We have a new general manager, um, our very own, Andrew Barry. Hey! Welcome back. Um, um, like it when Michael's nerds are age? in the building. Yeah, He's barely older than me. He's barely older than me. I think he's technically 32, and I'm about to turn 32. This is like how I felt whenever the people coming into the draft were younger than me. Like, it was like, oh man, I'm old. He's in the same stage of life, though. He's married. He's got like a couple young kids. It's like, I, he feels like very much like me. He's a dork. He's not like, does nothing really. He's way smarter than you. No, he's far superior <laughs> to you, Michael. Stop lumping yourself into the Andrew Barry category. No, I feel like I can relate. I feel like I can relate to Andrew Barry in a way I can't relate to lots of other like front office and like former NFL people, though. That's fair. He's. From like a what Andrew Barry deals with in the mornings and at night when he goes home. Yes, that standpoint. Yeah. And His age. Yes. He's a millennial. Yeah, but he did play football at the collegiate level, which I could have never dreamed of. Nope. And he went to Harvard. Not even, not even Ivy League. He's physically football. better than you. He's mentally better than you. More successful than you are. <sighs> Makes a lot more money. A lot more money. It's really hard for me to admit that there are people that are smarter than me, but it's <laughs> it's true. There are people that are a lot smarter than me. Yeah, yeah. The the sooner you realize that, the better. Um. Yeah. So, Andrew Barry, are you guys excited? I know that this is someone Matthew that you said from the very beginning is who you wanted to get the general manager job. Um. So I'm excited about it. I like Andrew Barry as a person, but I, in this Cleveland Browns era where it seems to be defined by dysfunction and everybody just cries the browns have no idea what they're doing who would want to work for jimmy and d haslam blah 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 blah. we have a guy who left to get a promotion and is now chosen to come back to to the structure to the organization if if the internal dynamics of the cleveland browns were nearly as bad as everybody's public perception says it is there's no way a guy like Andrew Barry comes back even for the GM job, right? He obviously, he obviously believes that he can be successful here, believes in Paul D. Podesta, believes in Kevin Stefanski. I mean, there's reports that he and D. Podesta were the two who wanted Stefanski last year. Yep. And so I, I think that speaks more to the how successful can this be than whether Andrew Barry's going to be a great GM or not. Because, frankly, I don't know. But I, I love that he, he wanted back in, and it tells me that the organization's on the right track. So what's interesting to me is, I mean, Andrew Barry was the lead scout on the, like, the head of the whole scouting department with, under the Sashi regime. Like, yeah. he had a really significant role under Sashi Brown. I mean, he was the head of the scouting department. And so it makes me wonder, during that regime, we didn't have a ton of huge hits in the draft, necessarily. There were some misses. There's some things you can point to Hugh Jackson probably influencing. You can think of Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, those type of things. I don't think Coleman was a Hugh Jackson thing. I think that was purely an analytics thing, and I think they overlooked his like personal character and work ethic. And those sort of I, I, I think I would put that pretty squarely on Sashi Brown's shoulders. Um, sure, and it, Andrew Barry. But I, it does beg the question: like, which of the guys were Andrew Barry's guys? Like in that, and you, there's no way for us sitting here to know. Like, I, I don't know. But I do remember, and nobody will answer that question at the microphone. Like. No. But what is interesting is that starting with the Sashi era, they would, on different days after the draft, they would put different people up in the microphone. And I distinctly remember Andrew Barry coming out to talk about like Larry Ogunjobi. So like on, you know, day two of the draft, like he was the one in front of the microphone talking about like Larry Ogunjobi. Now, he was also in front of the microphone talking about Chad Thomas a couple of years ago. So I highly doubt that 
Chad Thomas was the darling of Andrew Barry analysis. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they delineate those responsibilities, but it it would certainly be interesting to know what picks he he was on board for and supported, and what picks he was overruled on in in that past era. Because I mean, there are. I mean, in the Seth Wickersham article, for example, it came out that there was strife in that draft room over who to draft at times and huge contention between Hugh Jackson and the front office on some of those draft picks. And man, can you think about being Andrew Berry right now? Like looking back at that, knowing what that was like, and now seeing the cohesion that seemingly is in place with Stefanski and Deep Podesta. And knowing what that's going to be like, I just—it's got to feel like. And there's, night there's and going day. to be disagreements, but to feel like you're all on the same team has got to be so refreshing. Yeah, man. To all be coming from the same framework, the same way of thinking, it seems that that's something we've never had before. It's been everyone's been diametrically opposed, and now everyone is going into it with the same frame of mind. But you have to think with all these picks, um. Andrew Barry had to have been one of the predominant voices, right? Like he's to blame for picks that didn't go bad. You have to say that that was his responsibility. That was, he was the head of scouting. Um, so like Corey Coleman, honestly, also like acquisitions outside. But he, he was also not the one making the final decision. No, he wasn't. But he was the one whose probably opinion was listened to the most of, the person who is making the final decision. Yeah, like but he, his opinion. Yeah, you know I know what I'm saying. Like he's, he's he's just, but in his previous role, he was just one voice in the room. Yeah, and yes, he he probably brings the whole all the scout voices together to be like this is this is our consensus. But the at, the end, the, at voice. the end of the day, he's one voice in the room. He wasn't making the decision, but he was the predominant voice in the room. I think I disagree because I think Hugh Jackson's voice was big. And I think Sashi's voice is big, and I think Jimmy Haslam's voice. But at the end of the day, Sashi's voice, like it was just he was just making the decision. So yeah, like his his voice was big, but like you would think that's if Sashi's making a decision, he's saying like I'm going to defer to you would think. Well, and, and it, but I don't think it's what I'm saying is I think there's a lot of people making that decision. I don't think it's fair to point to any of the draft picks from that era and be like these were. Andrew Barry's successes or these were Andrew Barry's failures. I don't I don't think he can individually get credit on either side for for either. Okay, I think that's fair. One of the things that I'm worried about and this is a, a larger question besides just Andrew Barry, but a case study of like analytics I feel like a couple years ago and that being the predominant that with Sashi is whenever we brought in Kenny Britt. And his stats were like statistically just about the exact same as Terrell Pryor, who we let walk. And Kenny Britt was just abysmal. Yeah, like you're looking at the numbers, and I know it's not that's not just what we're doing is looking at stats, but I'm afraid that the intangibles are maybe they've learned that lesson, and that's not going to go into the decision as much as before. But I think the locker room dynamics and the leadership and like the intangible piece is definitely something that was missing in a lot of the selections that were made in the Sashi. In the Sashi. Um, and but at the same time, we weren't exactly trying to win. So it's like, let's bet on the numerical and statistics stuff that we've got because we think we can hit on some things that like and get some advantages based on some of this analysis that we're doing. And not worry so much about whether it actually works or not, because in the short term, we're not looking to actually put W's on the board. And that's the part that gets lost, is like everybody that knocks Sashi and the the one in 31 and but, try to pin that on him. It's they weren't it's not that they were trying to lose necessarily, but they knew that they weren't trying to gun for any sort of playoff chances in those first two years. Sure, but that's kind of an idiotic Strategy. I mean, you're not going to go give Kenny Britt the contract we gave him just for the hell of it, and it doesn't matter. No, you actually think it's going to be you. You actually like like just don't give him the contract. Just like play any scrub you get off the street because like winning's not a priority. Get those rollover dollars. Yeah, 
So like we we actually used assets to draft Corey Coleman as an example, sign Kenny Britt. So like those are those are misses, and like it didn't hurt us because like we are where we are. We are where we are now, but there there was a cost. Sure. To to making those decisions. Yeah, but it was also a, like there's it's like a. I mean, I think they probably view it in somewhat of a scientific process. It's like, all right, well, these are the, this is the data that we looked at and the rationale we took for making these decisions. All right, well, what did we learn from that? Yeah, right? but, yeah, but what, I'm, so, like, what that, I'm saying, though, is your, your way that you framed it, saying that they probably didn't care because they weren't trying to win. Like, if, they, if the goal was put forward a team that wouldn't win for two years, like, you you don't you don't sign Kenny Britt for example. You might draft Corey Coleman and you missed on that, but you don't spend the money to sign a free agent. Well, but they're not. Actually, but they weren't. My point is is that they weren't looking at Kenny Britt as like, yeah, this guy's probably not going to work out. They actually look. They had reason to believe that he would work out, and it probably was a lot riskier than oh, the guy they had in their building. But you're willing to take that risk when there's not a huge pressure to win. And that like risk of taking a guy that you don't know like everything is a hundred percent. I think you're more willing to do that a little bit um, on a guy like Kenny Britt when you're in the position the Browns were in at that particular time. If he hits, that's great, and you've got him for a while. But if he doesn't, it's not really the end of the world because you're not trying to you're not trying to win. And you're and hoping that's, that's what I'm trying to say. It. Okay. Um, it actually seems that what we did in those years with Sashi Brown is a lot more impressive. Um, than initially you would think with the how well the Dolphins did this year. They were trying to lose, and yet they still scraped out a couple of wins. It's just a matter of having a good coach versus a historically horrendous one. Or Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and, well, I mean, we had a historically horrendous coach and a historically horrendous quarterback room. Yes. Oh, man. Josh McCown excluded for that 1-15 season because he was injured like most of that time. <sighs> Um, he was probably the only person who deserved to be out on a professional football field oh from a quarterback goodness. perspective. But that's terrible. It was awesome to see him play in the playoffs. I know. I love that guy. Did you see that the Eagles were kicking the tires on bringing him back as the offensive coordinator? That's awesome. They, they, there were reports that they were interested in doing that. He'd be perfect for it. Yeah, except that That'd his family jump. and his kids are all like down in Charlotte. I think if the Panthers wanted to give him a job, he would jump at it. They should. I don't think he wants to travel. Well, the offensive coordinator at Philly wouldn't, I mean, he wouldn't be calling plays because Doug Peterson called. So it would be kind of just thinking about the offense holistically, putting together a game plan. I think he could do that tomorrow. So the Andrew Berry piece that I don't know that has been talked about that much, but what jumps out to me is. This process took a good bit of time, which I'm really glad they took the time to like actually interview folks, like have like extensive conversations and then arrive at what the best decision was. I would have been fine with George Payton as well. Um, and that didn't end up working out, but I, I'm happy that we landed on Andrew Barry. The thing that is great about Barry over George Payton is his familiarity with the team and with the folks that are already in the front office. Cause we're well into the off season now. He's, he hasn't even been away from the Browns for a full calendar year. So, like, he knows the folks in the building. He's just sitting in a different seat, like, down the hall. And I think that helps a ton when you're trying to prepare for free agency and you've got the draft to prepare for right around the corner. Like, there's a ton of crap to do. Not only that, but he's really familiar with the roster. And I think those are very, very important things that can't be overlooked because we're kind of in a window where we need to maximize what we got right now we can't really afford to have a dead off season by transitioning to a new front office and i think andrew barry probably gives us a better chance of a smoother transition than if we had had someone else so i i agree with you on that with that in mind how do you feel about elliot wolf and alonzo highspeth leaving the organization is that because there is that continuity but we're kind of thin at the at the top, and maybe we were top heavy before. We had we had we a lot of heavy big names with big titles, 
up, up well, at the upper echelon there. But... John Dorsey was the t- I get the feeling John Dorsey's the type of guy that likes to hold the title and make the final decisions, but let everybody else do like the real work. And I think he structured his front office that way. Um, and I think we got to sit, have a front row seat to that during like hard knocks when Elliot Wolf was the guy having to tell people what, that they were cut or not cut, like all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but I personally, I fully expected Alonzo Highsmith to be gone. Um, just based on his personality and the type of guy that he is like, it didn't seem like that was ever going to jive with a analytically inclined front office. So I expected him to be gone. The question mark to me was, was on Elliot Wolf. He's a little bit younger than Highsmith. And I don't know. Um, I, I would be interested to know, because there was the, the Mortensen report initially came out that they were both leaving. And then Mortensen corrected his report and said, actually yes. the organization and Elliot Wolf are trying to figure out like yep. what their relationship's going to be like in the future. And then a couple hours later, it was like, they've decided to part ways. So I would be really interested to know what the offer was to Elliot Wolf because it sounds like sounds like they didn't want him to leave per se, but kind of gave him the opportunity to hey you're not going to be you're not going to be the head guy here's here's what we yeah, would like you to do. There was something on the table for sure. They weren't like trying to push him out the door. Well, I feel like his buddy Alonzo Highsmith was leaving, and he was like, "What am I going to do? Alonzo's my guy." What, what I'm worried about is, is there a situation, just play devil's advocate, where there's too much alignment within the organization? I'm serious. <laughs> like, if everyone is thinking the exact like same way, if everyone is thinking the exact same way and you have no one to play bad guy, no one to play devil's advocate, no one on your scouting department, on your every single thing, so, is that I, eventually become a point of diminishing return where it's, it's no longer good? I think... I think if you conflate alignment with single-mindedness, then yes. But I, I think the point of when we're talking about alignment here with the front office, it's alignment of process. It's alignment of goals. It's alignment of like, how, do we, how do we get from A to B in philosophy? It's not alignment of, all right, we like these types of guys. In yeah. Yeah. Left tackle needs to be six five. They like, like the process. Whatever. Yeah, they're they're aligned in the process and the vision and the how they're trying to get. I I don't think they're single minded in the sense that they're only thinking about football in one way from one perspective. And I mean, you bring in this coaching staff. We'll get to the coaching staff here in a minute. We've got coaches that have come from. All All sorts of the well, and I think this is like a really like significant misconception about folks who are analytically inclined. Like the whole premise of that is constantly questioning like your baseline and like your preconceived notions. Like that is the whole reason for relying on numbers. It's because like what our eyes see can deceive us a lot of times yeah. and minimizing we, your bias yeah. in decision making through data and and constantly questioning why like why is this and trying to back it up and try to have like real evidence for what that is and so really that's like encouraging differing opinion in a lot of ways but encouraging it to be backed up with like legitimate facts instead of just opinion Uh, football guys yeah (laughs) i know because i did it i've done it yeah i've been in a locker room i'm gonna get some real football players in here How's that, how's that working out? Hey, buddy boy. Who we do that? have real football players, but one of the things that's going to be fantastic about this getting this new front office now is the contract negotiations that are going to come up. I'm so glad that John Dorsey is not negotiating Miles Garrett's contract and would definitely re-sign Jarvis Landry. Like that is something that's going to allow us to keep our good pieces for longer. Certainly. I am super actually, I am very the interested. The Landry in piece is super interesting. Yeah. Are they just going to cut him? There's a lot of interesting. <laughs> or OBJ. I mean, I'm looking. Look at last year. Who knows? What are they going to do? Like, what cuts are they going to make? Like, what culture are they trying to create? Like, is it going to be clear? Are they going to, like, see what happened with Kareem Hunt and say, like, we might be better if we just move on? Like, I, there's going to be some of that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be really interesting to see going forward and then 
<clears throat> how much I felt great about our contract situation and how much we were squeezing things whenever Sashi was aboard. Oh, yeah. Because his whole career was built on negotiation and contracts, and he just crushed everybody in every trade that we made. Bring it back as the chief legal officer, contract negotiator. I mean, that's what he was when he started I know. with the Browns. Anyways, he's got a great job with uh, the Washington Wizards and that whole organization. Maybe, maybe he's not a basketball guy. Maybe, maybe he wants to be football. But I am interested to see how that contract negotiation stuff works with Andrew Barry at the helm. I expect it to be good and for us to have good value, but it's to be determined for sure. Like, that's a big question mark. He was, he was doing that with the Eagles, with Howie Roseman, who's right. obviously in charge of that. But uh, that but, was part of his job description with the Eagles, was touching every aspect of the And they operation. signed Carson Wentz Early. during his time there. I believe so, yeah. I mean, it probably was pretty early during his time there because it was in the off season, but it was, you know, and they signed him after the third season, so that, that is actually an interesting. All right, let's, let's actually, uh, before we get into the coaching staff and stuff like that, I want to talk about some just general Browns news. Let's talk about Kareem Hunt. Hmm. We just watched the video again right now. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just before so, we started recording. It's just so sad to me, like, to, to hear him talk about, how he feels like he's the worst person sometimes, how he should be playing in the Super Bowl and like he's messed up. Like he's right. He should be playing in the Super Bowl. And like I can put myself in that situation where you just feel for the guy. The sad know? part to me is that that is what's happening in this situation. But if he's in front of the camera or like talking, like he's got to like, he's talking a completely different way like oh, oh yeah, he's on he's, he's on the straight and narrow things are good you know really woke up after like everything that happened and you know all of that no but, like, but he's, that is, he's like, beating far himself from the up when he's like by himself right that's the sad part to me yeah is the the disconnect between those two personas which is probably the exact same situation that everybody that deals with trouble over and over and over again is in whenever they're not in trouble they're like yeah well that's all i'll ever be that's all i can do and they beat themselves up and then guess what that makes you want to do smoke some more weed if you're trying to get out if your own head is like a horrible place to be it was his brothers it was (laughs) was his brother it was his brother's for sure, but he did say directly to the we police we officer. Throw his brother under the bus. <laughs> yeah, who is his brother? You think he's pissed, or you think he was? Maybe like, he doesn't even have one. Or, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, that's definitely my brother. Yeah, does. Uh, I don't. I don't know his phone number, officer. A quick Google search says you have no siblings, Kareem. Uh, but we did. I mean. We did look it up. He only got like the actual traffic citation. There wasn't anything else that he was cited for. So I think it seems fairly likely that he's going to get off without any shout out to the Cleveland PD for, for being yeah. bros. He explicitly on this, on this a Browns fan his whole life. He explicitly said how big of a Browns fan he was. <laughs> and that's why he didn't cite Kareem for the, or did he cite him for the open vodka? He did not. He did not. So he's, he did confiscate it though. He did confiscate it. And we were talking about this. Apparently, there was an open bottle of vodka in Kareem Hunt's backpack, in which back was seat. in the back seat. And he then that was, and he took it from him. That's what that would actually kind of piss me off. So Strict I don't actually, I, I don't actually know that, dude. I re- I read that they confiscated the the weed that they found in three separate locations in his car. Um, <laughs> I don't know that they took the vodka, but honestly, like that open container rule is dumb. It's not consistent state by state. Here in Tennessee, for example. That's not a ticket. You can drink a roadie in the in Tennessee. Yeah, as long as you're not the driver. Yeah. And, um, no, and you're not in the Nashville city limits. In the Nashville city limits, you can't do that. Watch out. Found that out the other day. The hard way? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, just doing my... Uh, just buffing up on the Nashville The local laws. municipal <laughs> laws. Uh, um, yeah, so like that... I, I feel like that stood out in that arrest video or even the write-ups where it was like an open vodka container and it was like well technically yeah <laughs> it's not like he was drinking while yes. he was it's not like he had a solo cup of vodka like in his hand while he was cruising down the road yeah. so and if he did dump that ish out <laughs> yeah just quick yeah um 
and there was uh, marijuana found in three different places in his car. So, three brothers. I yeah, all, <laughs> all three brothers. I just hope that Kareem Hunt never gets pulled over again because it's an absolute certainty that there's going to be marijuana in one of one place in his car at the very least. Maybe more, maybe less, but always at least one. Like so, just hopefully. Kareem stops speeding. Just get him. To, if you if you have enough money, maybe maybe he's been driving Uber, and it's like you know how you get in an Uber, and it's like yeah, hey, we got the snacks, we got the gum, we got whatever. He's just taking it to a whole other level. He's like, yo, we got the dro, <laughs> we got the papers, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. Make sure to rate me five stars, bro. <laughs> five stars. Consider giving me a tip, <laughs> please and thank you. Oh, uh, so Kareem Hunt seemingly got off scot free. Not going to be any problems with that. Mark made a great point while we were watching the video that that came out and then Kobe died. And nobody's talking about the Kareem Hunt situation. And No, yeah, honestly. It's awful, but it's true. That's all they've been talking about on ESPN. And it happened right around the same time. There's just, it's never going to Anything that's happened in the sports world has just been overshadowed. Vapor in the way. I'm, I'm surprised the NFL didn't come out and reinstate Miles Garrett. Just, this would have been like, the perfect time. Yeah. Like, oh, Sunday night? Yeah, Miles Garrett's reinstated. Exactly. That's what they've been waiting for. Just a little like tiny byline yep. on the, the bottom of the homepage of ESPN. No one would have talked about it. Um, so another player that's going off of his rocker, not really. But uh, in, the, in the national championship game, um, Odell Beckham Jr. was there supporting his LSU Tigers. And uh, speaking of an open container, and he had clearly drank something. He was having an absolute blast, taking over the the LSU marching band, trying to get them to play certain things. And uh, then in the locker room, just tossing dollar bills at LSU players. Um, that wasn't just in the locker room; that was out on the field. Was it? I didn't see it on the field. I didn't see it on the field. I just saw it in the locker room. I love counting them out, slapping them into their hand. <laughs> it's so it was amazing. Wouldn't hide in the thing. Well, the players, they were smoking cigars in the locker room, right? OBJ was in there. And then the cop comes over and tells one of the players to, like, put out the cigar. The little rent-a-cop. Yeah. It's like whoever. It was, security. The, it was the security guy from the Super stadium. Dumb. Oh, so it wasn't an actual police officer. I didn't no. know. They, so they are actual police officers. I, I, I did a little research. Okay. <laughs> it is not a New Orleans, like, city police officer or the parish or, or whatever. They, they are their own separate police department that have, like, authority within the city. Within the Superdome. Huh. Which is but is the, there is security. It's a Superdome cop. Well, a Superdome cop got spanked on the ass by Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> People would pay a lot of money for that. Yeah, he should consider himself lucky, right? Oh, man. The cop comes in and tries to intervene. <laughs> OBJ throws a dollar bill at him Afterwards. and then gives him a spank. Oh my goodness. He had to have been so gone. I just think I I have no idea what he was on. I think he was really drunk. A really drunk. Just having maybe a, a little grand extra. old time. Yeah, his team won the national title. I haven't heard anything about this in a while. I wonder what well, LSU is doing. All the charges got oh the, the money the- piece and the NCAA piece is gonna be the interesting part to me. I don't think it's a good look for anybody involved to publicize it any further. I think the NCAA will quietly confiscate money. And most of those kids are draft eligible. Oh, anyway. LSU had like a whole, like 15 players I think, declare. I think I heard that one kid who was on camera getting money was a junior who was planning on coming back. So he'll he'll probably have to like. He but I read the money back I read a, I read a press release that he gave it back to yeah. OBJ. Oh oh yeah yeah. Just right there. Yeah, excuse he, me. Excuse me, Mr. Said, Beckham. Mr. Um, Beckham, you dropped I, this yeah, in my you, hand. You, you <laughs> dropped this in my hand at the fifty yard line. <laughs> yeah, I told him. <laughs> Here it is. And OBJ took it back and then yeah, threw it at somebody else. Yeah, it was cash. That was a good move. It's hard to trace the cash. Yeah, did you hear him say that it was it was fake money? <laughs> yeah, no, um, I love the LSU's initial response. No, we're pretty sure those were fake $100 bills. It's like, where the hell does OBJ get a bunch of fake $100 bills? OBJ wouldn't be caught dead giving away fake, fake $100 money. bills. Also, 
wouldn't you be kind of ticked if you were a college student and OBJ comes up to you and slaps a couple hundred dollar bills in your head only to realize they're fake? you got to be the biggest piece of work in the world to do that. You're the biggest cornball that there's <laughs> ever been. <laughs> like, I'd be so mad if I was one of those kids. Oh, yeah. OBJ's not giving away fake money. Um, all right, in other news. Dad wasn't too pleased with oh, no. the whole situation. Oh, uh, no. Dad was, thought OBJ had worked his way out of cleveland i think his words there. i think his words were wore out as welcome yeah wore out as welcome after this all this news i looked up i dad texted me before like i was in the middle of something at work and dad texted and i like went and looked it up and i was like i like odell more now also, like i <laughs> also can we talk can we talk about how ridiculous this is so they they got a warrant for his arrest for battery the the initial <laughs> the initial charging document was for sexual like sexual assault because he touched his ass. Mm. Are you freaking kidding me? They gotta get cops. Down Are you them. freaking kidding me? It it took all of twenty four hours for the DA to be like, yeah, we're not prosecuting this. <laughs> like, like this is bullshit. I was texting all my friends from law school, and we were just having a field day, <laughs> just an absolute field day with with this whole situation because there ever since this came out, there was zero chance that Odell Beckham was one getting arrested to whatever like see face charges for for any of this. Um, I don't even think he was in the country at the time that the arrest warrant was issued. Hadn't hadn't even come back yet. No, he's spending time with Paul Brown. Hanging out on the Paul Brown podcast, seeking asylum in the, the mother Apparently, country. Legitimately, Paul Brown hung out with him in London, and the rules were like no videos or no nothing. He said he had a great time with him and Higgins and like. Are you serious? And, and Sheldrick Redwine, yeah. Did that just like happen, or did Paul I, Brown reach out to set it up? Uh, it happened. I have no how? idea how it happened. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that dude just talks if, to everybody. If that's true, good yeah. for you, Paul. Yeah, well how? done. Also, how if hard? That's true. How hard would it have been for Paul not to film something and no, like promote it? The and best part, make that up. Yeah, yeah, we also hung out with OBJ, <laughs> and uh, the rules were that we couldn't film it. <laughs> that's what they agreed on. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Prove me. Say I didn't do it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was saying Paul is like the master of self promotion. Like it must have been killing him on the inside, just like to not oh, yeah. be able to film it. Oh man. The best part was he was like with them in London, evidently, and then like twelve hours later, it was reported that he had had successful like core muscle surgery in the states, like somewhere. So that's he good. like must have taken a red eye like back and just like went straight to the hospital. Oh, that's Why how not? I would party. Nobody eats on the airplane anyway. Not allowed to eat before surgery. Just great. Sleep, rest up. Beautiful. All right. Um to continue our little halftime from talking about coaching in front office. So Miles Garrett going to meet with Roger Goodell in the next 60 days to talk about his indefinite suspension. Um, is this going to continue the indefinite suspension, Matthew? I mean, he's going to be suspended indefinitely forever. No, he's going to be reinstated. <laughs> like the minute he walks into Roger Goodell's office, this is the literally the dumbest charade. This is dumber than like charges being brought against OBJ in new Orleans for smacking the cop on the ass. Like, Miles Garrett never should have been suspended indefinitely. But the deadly weapon, Matthew. The deadly weapon. Assault. Assault. Attempted murder. <laughs> Miles Garrett, attempted murderer. <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. So, this, this could have really used another big sports story on the Friday after this particular game. It would have helped lots of things. Yeah, no, it would have. If <laughs> Mark was going to make a joke, <laughs> I know what joke you were going to make. Uh-oh. He couldn't even do it. <laughs> he couldn't do it. We'll leave it alone. Um, Keep going, Matthew. <laughs> no, this this is the dumbest thing. He he never should have been suspended indefinitely. It's been like this this charade of of process um to to make this seem official. Like he got slapped with indefinite suspension in order to kind of quell the outrage right yeah. because that sounds better or longer or worse than six game suspension or whatever whether we got four or six games i mean i recorded on this podcast saying four or six games fine 
indefinite stupid. It's going to turn out to be six games. He's going to be available for everything in yeah, the offseason and whatnot. So, like, great, but I'm just kind of ticked off that that's how the process went. Yeah, I'm not, I don't even want to give this any more time because I think he's going to be reinstated. It's not going to be a big deal. And he's going to be playing week one. Uh, and that's going to be that. See you soon, Miles. Can't wait. Um, in other news, we signed a fullback. Browns have a fullback now. We got... It was Andrew Berry's first act as GM. Love that. Collaboration. Bringing the fullback from Minnesota. He was on the practice squad, spent some time with... He was uh, a quarterback in college. At like New Mexico State or Johnny something? Stan. The best fullbacks weren't actually fullbacks in college. Well, yeah, because very few teams are effectively utilizing the fullback. In the, it's got to be the hardest position level. to scout. Can you imagine? Like, do you remember what's his face? No, Bruce no Miller team, yeah. at like UCF? He was, like he, was, he was like the all-conference USA like defensive player of the year or something like that. Find a really good pulling guard and ask if they can lose 100 pounds. <laughs> Like, there's just so many different ways to skin the cat. I mean, you've got the Taysom Hill types. You've got the defensive linebacker, like lean defensive end types. You've got. I feel like it's more of a mentality than anything else. Like you need, you need someone who has baseline athletic traits and then just a willingness to go to go do the job. I'm excited about the potential of bringing in a fullback. I mean, Baker used a fullback. Um, times at OU I, I think they can be I mean we see obviously use check is like a ridiculous like athlete he's of gonna a be a, he's gonna be a free agent at the end of this year no uh, he's got one more year but you but you see no, how no, no, no. I don't I don't think so you see how he gets used oh yeah like, like if you're able to get a guy who's dynamic and not just the old school just pound up in there Lawrence Vickers would have been um, um, he's obviously like 35 now. So. And, oh, there was a lot of times <laughs> not when coming we back. But... Used Kareem Hunt like a fullback, and like he was getting in ahead and lead blocking for um, Nick Chubb, and that was very successful. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about bringing in a fullback. Not this one necessarily because I don't know. Well, I know very little about it. Kyle Usyk's not a free. Then a four year deal. When was that? Two years ago. Bummer. He's got one more year, so uh, three before 2017. Making good money. Good for him. Oh, yeah. No, that deal was... Yeah. A lot of people laughed at it. I um, mean, and probably still could, but because he's a fullback. Kyle Shanahan knew what he wanted. That was before Shanahan got there. Three years ago it? was his first year? No, it was at the beginning. It was coincided. It was right with Shanahan and um, John Lynch. Johnny Lynch. All right, so let's get back. Hey, John Lynch has been terrible. You think so? They're in the Super Bowl. They're in the Super Bowl. But, like, what has he done as a GM that's been great? Like, personnel moves that you feel pretty decent about. Feel pretty good about George Kittle. Feel pretty good about the value they got for Jimmy Garoppolo. Feel pretty good about the Kyle check situation and like actually marrying like his personnel with what his coach is looking to do on the field. But but you had to give up a second Richard round pick Sherman. for Jimmy G and then give him like a top of the market contract. Like you could have But they that. did it really they did it in a way where they gave him a lot of money like on the front end and when they had a bunch of extra cap and his year to year throughout the rest of it is really good. I like that Jimmy G contract. I mean for if you think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, I like that. Jimmy G contract traded a high pick for D Ford. I mean, I the guy's in the freaking Super Bowl. That's the whole goal. They in a couple of days they could really be hoisting the trophy. And really can't argue with. I mean, so so yes, that is the goal. But I think Kyle Shanahan has way more to do with that than John Lynch does. Yeah, but I think that he's done a great job of getting him the personnel that he needs and working together with Kyle Shanahan to like make that happen. And I think that's the like the synergy we're talking about with the, that we're hoping we're going to get with the Browns that you actually are seeing in San Francisco. Like I was at the front of the line laughing at the Kyle Juszczyk deal, whenever it happened, but there was a reason for it. I still think he's ever bed. Yeah. He's making like eight million a year or something, six million a year. But he's probably was inclined to just stay in Baltimore if they didn't 
overpay him, and they knew how valuable he was to what they wanted to do in the offense. And if you look at the numbers, when he was out during the middle portion of this year, their offense wasn't nearly as effective. I mean, he's a key cog in what they want to do. And I, there's things that I can question, but like any, every GM's not going to hit on everything, and they're in the freaking Super Bowl. So, all right, let's can't argue with it. Let's stop talking about John Lynch. This is Cleveland Browns podcast, and let's talk about our coach and staff moves. So, we just recently hired Alex Van Pelt as our offensive coordinator. I'm very interested in what you guys think about this. We'll talk about all of our position coaches and everything like that in a little bit, but I, I'm very interested in what your guys' opinion of Alex Van Pelt is. Um, yeah, I'm not going to influence that at all. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to lie. It's an underwhelming hire in some in some ways. I was really looking forward to the possibility of a Mike McDaniel hire on our offensive staff, and now that Alex Van Pelt's been announced as offensive coordinator, that pretty much is not going to happen. That being said, I'm pretty cool with Alex Van Pelt working with Baker Mayfield going forward, and I think that feels pretty good. Um, I have questions about him calling plays just because we don't have much of a sample size. The one time he was an offensive coordinator was literally 10 years ago. And so like 10 years ago, I was in college. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like 10 years is a long freaking time. And he has a great reputation. He's worked with a lot of quarterbacks and done a lot of really great work and is well-respected within the league. So I can't really complain too much, but he hasn't really held the offensive coordinator position in any spot and he's not the young guy coming up that like you kind of have that like brimming optimism for what he could be in this offensive course. So it's hard to get like overly excited about it. I I, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have the huge upside like you would with a uh, Mike McDaniel or any, any young coordinator, but I don't think we need that because we have, we have Kevin Stefanski like as our head coach, he, he is the, the the young upside right we could use experience and i i love the offensive staff that we have put together we'll talk about some of the other guys um aaron Rodgers loves alec Pell. is on record as being frustrated that he wasn't retained um when he was the packers quarterback coach before he moved to the bengals i also love that like when all things are equal steal a coach from your division rivals like weaken them not not that i'm super worried about the Bengals in the in the next couple years but it's it's nice to be able to take a well-respected coach from a staff that quite frankly is not super experienced down there in cincinnati oh yeah so that that helps a lot too um i'm excited more for him working with baker on a on a day in day out basis than i am necessarily as the off corner but i think this this offensive staff is going to be fluid i don't i don't think it's going to be structured in a traditional like wide receivers coach quarterback coach offensive coordinator head coach situation we've got three guys now who have all four if you include bill callahan who've all been offensive <laughs> coordinators before i think the the load is going to be split a little differently than traditionally has been in the nfl yeah so bill callahan we have as our offensive line coach that is the hire that I'm excited about. I mean, our Prof- best offensive line coach in the league now that Skarnecki is retired. Him or Munchak. Munchak's good, too. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Top, top two. I mean, that's what you need. And we've got some young players like a Drew Forbes and whoever we're going to draft because Lord knows we're drafting offensive mm-hmm. linemen and tackles. Like, And you need a guy that can make it all work. And Bill Callahan can make it work better than anybody else out there, pretty much. And so, man, I'm excited about that. I think that's going to pay so many dividends. Man. All right, so then we got, we got Bill Callahan at offensive line. We have Chad O'Shea as our wide receivers coach. And we're retaining your boy in mind, Matthew, Stump Mitchell, as our running back coach. That beard. No, and I think, I think Chad O'Shea is a great kid. As a wide receivers coach, I think he did a good job down in Miami as the offensive coordinator last year. Oh, working working with nothing. Oh, by the way, we traded your left tackle before the season from an offensive line that was already terrible. 
you have no quarterback and your skill position is uh Deontay Parker or Devontae Parker. And pretty much That's it. That's it. I think Preston Williams was their second best receiver. He was sixth round out of Colorado State. Um they were crazy creative. They beat the Patriots. Yeah. So bringing him in as the wide receivers coach to help out the staff, he spent something like 10 years coaching wide receivers in New England. Um, he's more than capable of doing that. I think he's going to add more. Yeah, I love it. Um, so the, the one thing going back to Alex Van Pelt, um, looking at his resume here, like you said, Michael. Is he related to Scott? No, um, but we'll call him AVP and be very happy about it. <laughs> he... He looks kind of like Freddie Kitchens. Maybe he's related to him. Throw in a dog pound hoodie and Freddie with hair. Grow a little bit of a beard and look just like him. Um, Cody yells barber. One one of the things I noticed. One of the things I noticed about him is he got promoted multiple different places that he was was at a lower position and then he got promoted. So like he there's time and time again he didn't get retained whenever a new staff came in. But where where he has been, he's been well respected. Um. And he's coached multiple how, positions. Multiple ab- positions. Amongst offense. A yeah. lot of quarterback, but he's also coached running backs, I know, in Running Green backs Bay. with the Packers initially. Um, and he's with the Packers a long time with Aaron Rodgers. Um, so that's our offensive team. And then defense, um, a lot of it remains up in the air. Um, very, very heavy rumors and thoughts that we're going to hire Joe Woods um, as our defensive coordinator after the Super Bowl. Um, he he was asked about it in a press conference just yesterday during Super Bowl week, and he all but said that's going to happen. I mean, he's like, I'm very optimistic that that'll work out, but I haven't had any contract discussion, which probably just means his agent's handling it like he hasn't actually, actually been involved with it. So then it'll probably presume that he will bring in some coaches that he wants on his staff, but as it stands right now, we just have a defensive back coach in Jeff Howard. Yeah, and so, I mean, you're going to need a D-line coach, and you're going to need a linebacker's coach. Mm-hmm. So those are still outstanding, but that's great. What do you think about, obviously, San Francisco's defense is? So there's lots of people that say, you know, Robert Sala was one of our head coaching candidates that yep. we interviewed, and he's a defensive coordinator, but a lot of people give credit for the defense to Joe Woods and not as much to Robert Sala from a schematic standpoint and success standpoint. So I'm optimistic. He seems like a really good hire, but I'm too hesitant to like get too far ahead of my skis. I mean, when we were sitting here last year, when Freddie Kitchen was putting his like staff together, we were like just drooling at the mouth too. So I'm just... I feel a little bit scarred from that whole situation because I felt like there was going to be like all these different opinions and all these great experienced people, and it just went to crap. And so we'll see whenever it comes out there. I do hope that whatever he does, that he's able to maximize our talent. Like the, I do not want to see our corners playing primarily zone coverage. Um, and that sort of thing. I just feel like we've got lots of talent on this defense, and I know they do play a lot of zone right now in uh, San Francisco, and so I'm curious to see what he does with the secondary in particular um, once he gets to Cleveland. But isn't he from the Broncos, the Wade Phillips kind of school of defense? I think so. Wasn't he a Wade Phillips assistant for a long time? Yeah, I mean, he was the defensive coordinator in Denver just last shortly just, after just Wade Phillips ago. left. Yeah, yeah. He and he bet on himself. This is like one of the things I kind of like about the guy. He took a one-year deal to be the DBs coach this year in San Francisco, knowing that he like wanted to try out his luck at taking a jump and didn't want to be locked into anything long term. I mean, there's worse places to be for a year than. San, well, but San Francisco, also, but also like, just knowing that yeah. you're gonna have options, yeah. like beyond there, you know. I like that. Sounds like a guy who's single. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can. One I don't want the good. stability. Yeah, no, I try to, I try to picture putting myself in that situation. No, babe, it's gonna be great. <laughs> we're gonna trust me. We're gonna other, move other there. people are offering me multi-year deals. I, I just want the one year. 
I just want the one. Then we're gonna move again. Yeah. But it'll be for a better job. Then maybe that'll be two. <laughs> you knew this when you married. Then I'll get a better job. I can't imagine these guys yeah. in the way that they have to jump around the continent. Yeah. To follow these coaching jobs. Man. Joe Wood's first job was defensive backs coach for Muskingum College. Wow. Well, that's the thing. If you're doing it right, you're moving every year or every two or three years. Like early in your career, Almost if you're doing to. it right, you're moving every year for probably four, five, six years in a row. No, yeah, absolutely. It's honestly true in any industry. You should just be hopping around. Yeah, I mean, Joe Woods and Stefanski spent all kinds of formative time together. They kind of came in at the Vikings at the exact same time. And that was just after. I, so Joe Woods had been at Tampa for a year, a season or two. And then he went to Minnesota right as Stefanski was coming in. And they worked on that same staff for seven or eight seasons. So they know what they're... They know what they're getting into. Yeah. So um, that makes me feel good. And then special teams, we're going to have. And it's got to make you feel good about Stefanski, too. Because Stefanski wasn't in, like, a prominent position during that period of time. You know what I mean? But a guy like Joe Woods is, like, eager to walk away from a team that's competing for the Super Bowl right now. Well, he's only to go on a one-year deal. He's, <laughs> he's out of a job at the end of the year. He must. <laughs> no, no, but I, that's I, legitimate. I do like, I do like that. Stefanski's bringing in a good mix of these guys that he's worked with before, knows really well, and then the ones that he hasn't necessarily worked with before are just like well reputed. The Chad O'Shea's, yeah, the Bill Callahan's, yeah, the Alex Van Pelt's, like well reputed coaches in the league that bring that level of experience. Because I feel like last year with the staff that Freddie put together, it was a bunch of guys who were actually had fairly good reputations, but the personality mix. Yeah, Freddie had no idea it was, who any It was a whole bunch of brand new, we've never worked together before kind of yeah. guys. So I think it's important to kind of get that mix of both. No, that's a good point. I agree with you. Freddie had no chance of putting together a staff. After Arians came back, basically took all of the top assistants that would have been in Freddie's pool. Because... In hindsight, who's going to go work for Freddie? <laughs> Is, maybe that's saying something. Maybe that's why all those assistants were people he'd never worked with before. Because all of the people who'd worked with him before were like, yeah, I don't know that that's going to work out. I think it's that. And like, I think that the front office had something to do with a lot of the hires. You know, like a James Campen and you know, some of those other names. I think Dorsey and Highsmith and Wolf like, definitely had some pull. Campen, yeah. Makes sense. You know what's so ironic with the shift towards analytics that the Browns are now doing again with D Podesta running the show. A lot of the criticism has been that you can't run a football team like they run baseball teams now. Like baseball teams are run by the front office. Like even like game day strategy, like in game decisions largely are determined by people in offices telling the manager what. And that was the critique of going away from these football guys. Well, if we look at last offseason with the coaching staff that we were hiring, we're sitting here saying that the front office was predetermining what the, what the coaching staff, the assistant coaches needed to look like. That's much more of like a, a, a modern baseball model where the, the front office is pulling all the strings and like coming at it from a strategic standpoint on the field, like in inner interjecting on the field than what we're expecting here in 2020. Which does not look like this step. No. Not at all. I don't think purely numbers are going to tell you to hire Alex Van Pelt to your offensive court. Well, and I mean that... I know that you know this. But yes, of course. We, we hear that all the time where it's like, oh, a spreadsheet can't tell you whatever. And like, that's... Analytics isn't just numbers. It's just like data. It's using data to help make decisions to minimize risk, right? So like data looks like a lot of different things. Um, it 
isn't necessarily just like statistic. Also, it statistics. is statistics. It is no, it it includes statistics, but that's not that's not like the only the only category, right? Yeah, I went on a rant on our uh, Twitter about this the other day. I know you did. I was very frustrated. You got some likes on that too. You know, some people agreed. Everybody, everybody, everyone on Twitter liked that tweet. But Pat McManaman wrote a thing on the Athletic talking about an analytics view of what the Browns should do in the offseason. And basically what that was, was you're a PFF set, You're angle. setting yourself up to fail, like trying to write that article. That's yes. not an article anyone no. is positioned if you're to, capable, to write. If you're Unless capable you're of writing that article, yeah. you should be working for yeah. the Browns front no, office. No, you, you bit off way more than you could chew there, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you didn't even know that yeah. you bit off way too much. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you were capable of writing that article, then yes, analytics is a complete facade. And like Aaron Schatz is probably the only person I, I mean, there's probably a couple. Warren Sharp. Yeah. Who, but that article would look way different than what Pat McManigan wrote. Mm hmm. He basically just took PFF numbers and said, this is how they rank things. Yeah. Which is like, Same, okay. Well, to your point, the PFF like numbers in their grading system is a phenomenal data point, like a really phenomenal data point. And it's like a great way to compare the offensive tackle on your team to the offensive tackles across the league and like how they're grading. It's a, like a, a clear system to like equalize things across the league. But it's literally one data point. And he was he was basically saying that PFF is analytics. Like that's like what it is. And so according to analytics, this is what they would do because this is what PFF's numbers say. And it's like, whoa, like you're really minimizing what this looks like. But when a national writer like a Pat McManaman that's publishing stuff on the athletic writes something like that, the guy that's on the fence and is already like hating on analytics just further goes down the hole of misunderstanding what why, it actually why is. Would and that's a, what drives me nuts. Why would you need a staff on your team if PFF is already posting all that information? Yeah, Chris, why do you question. need to fill multiple roles Chris in your Chris Collinsworth has got you covered. Yeah. <laughs> I do that every week. I look up the PFF number. Uh, so funny. All right. So for do we have anything else we're going to cover? Nope, we hit it all. So for future podcasts, I feel like what we should do is get a take a little prediction on what we're going to do for free agents um, on the defensive and offensive side of the ball and create a little projection of what we want the Browns to do. I think that'll probably be our next step. It's right around the corner. Then it'll be draft. My suggestion is largely don't. With don't do agents. anything with free agents? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Resign a couple Pat. of our guys and we might need to sign a safety the yeah. problem is is we our depth sucks like one balls. safety our in free agency sucks yeah i really think we need to see i'm not drafting a safety in the second round we'll put some time into thinking about it and come back with some more formulated opinions Sounds good to me, Michael. Just so you guys are all aware, um, we do not have to be hold to a sponsor anymore. So our uh, podcasts over the offseason might be a little more intermittent. As the Browns news comes up, we'll be sure to get you the information. Um, as it gets closer to the draft, we will, of course, be doing a deep dive um, into all things Browns draft. Hopefully we're going to get um, Dane Brugler on here a little bit more about what the upcoming draft looks like. Trying and to get some good guests on. Exactly. I know. I know I've been emailing a former Browns player who he could, could, be, could be really interesting for one year, one brief year in, in the, the doldrums of the mid-2000s. There's a lot of people that know a lot more about the draft than you we You better do. deliver now. I know. Matthew. Have we, we just got to go, go hang out at that taco restaurant again. Yeah. How many emails you sent back and forth with this, uh, Bella? Two or three. Oh, I think five. You need to work harder. I, I think do need to work harder. Five is the critical mass. Once you tip over five, it's happening. Something is going to happen. You send 
four emails to somebody and you basically agree. Um, all right, all everybody. Right. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Go Browns. Go Follow Browns. us on Twitter, at Sin of Our Fathers. Instagram, at Sin of Our Fathers. Or send us an email if you have any questions. Want to chat about something? Want us to cover something on the next podcast? Sinofourfathers at gmail.com. Nice, Michael. Go Browns! Thank you.